All right, how it all ends. How it all ends. Daniel chapter 12. Now, if you were to read the book of Ecclesiastes out of context, you might think that the earth is just never going to end. So if you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, I'm not sure if you can make that big. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. So the question is, will the sun always rise and set? Will generations always come and go? Will it ever end? Will it ever end? Now, in the current scientific world, there are three very popular theories about how the world might end. And I'd just like to show them to you. That's what I spend my time doing, reading scientific journals through the course of the week. And here's the first one. Here's one popular scientific theory. It's called heat death. The world might have a heat death, which means the heat, of the universe, the heat death of the universe is the end state of the universe that is ruled by accelerated expansion forever. I mean, that's clear as mud, isn't it? The second one is called the Big Rip. This is the second popular one. If you have a kind of dark energy where the energy density is not constant but is increasing over time, then you get this thing called phantom dark energy. And that leads to this horrific destruction of the universe in a finite time. I mean, I mean, it's clear, right? But my favorite is this one. It's called vacuum decay. Vacuum decay. Basically, the current laws of physics change, and that bubble, whatever that is, would expand at about the speed of light throughout the universe and destroy everything it encounters. Three popular theories. Three. Um, here are some religious theories about human life after death. The now dead Stephen Hawkins said this. He said, conventional afterlife is nothing more than a fairy tale for people who are scared of the dark. Buddhists believe in reincarnation, the cycle of death and rebirth. Hindus also believe in reincarnation after death. They call the soul the Atman, and, and, and the soul will receive a new body after death, but it depends on karma. It depends on your good or bad life in a previous life. So that means that the body you come back in, it could be human, it could be an animal, it could be an insect, or it could be a plant. I quite like Hinduism because I'm coming back looking like this. Yeah. That is the life of the most spoiled dog in the world. Spiritualists believe that the spirits live on after life, but spirits then evolve. So when it comes to theories about how it all ends, what life might be like after death, whether it happens or doesn't happen, the theories abound. There is no shortage of theory. But God, even in the Old Testament, wanted us to be absolutely clear as to how it all ends. And you see it, don't you, in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. It was right there in the Old Testament all along. And if you've got eyes to see it and ears to hear it, it's all over the Old Testament. 
Let me give you a couple of examples. Job said in 1926, he said, After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. There's a song in Isaiah 26 that was actually sung by the, by, by, by the people of God. It was, it was made to music. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your Jew is like the Jew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. The psalmist went on to say, But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. And then in Psalm 20, 71, 20, Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. It's clear, isn't it? How does it all end? Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. I want to ask five questions that this passage answers. Five questions. And here's the first one. What does Daniel see? What does Daniel see? If you've got your Bible, look at it, but it's on the screen. Look at verse 1. The angel says to Daniel, there will be times of distress as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. And the question we ask is, what distress is Daniel, is this referring to? This distress is the distress he's just seen in chapter 11, which we looked at last week. And the distress is all the visionary distress that he has seen from chapters 7 through 11. So I'm going to give you some pictures, and I'm going to ask the guys at the back just to hold them up a little bit longer than normal. Let me show you some pictures of the distresses that Daniel has seen in his visions from 7 through to 11. And we'll go back a little bit. Here's the first one. You might remember in Daniel chapter 7 that the distress that Daniel saw is he saw a hybrid lion, he saw a hybrid bear, a hybrid leopard, and a hybrid dinosaur of some sort. And you remember then in chapter 8, hopefully, the distress that he saw is he saw this hybrid goat, which was Greece, that was going to savagely attack the Persian ram, and that was going to be a war, and that was going to be a distress. And then, I'll put it into a, woo, into a cartoon with me in the background there. The other thing that he saw is last week from chapter 11, the distress that he saw was all the Greek civil wars that took place when they took over from the Persians. So it was goat on goat. Remember that? Goat against goat, goat against goat, king of the north versus king of the south. There were all these Greek civil wars, and it was so distressing because all the countries around Israel were affected and destroyed, Libya, Egypt, Cush, and, and Israel too was, was, was in the crosshairs, and they were affected as well. So let me give you a picture, and I want you to take a look at this. Daniel, in, in sort of some, Daniel gets visions in a time frame that sort of anywhere from about 556 five, to about 536. He gets these visions, these distresses of what life is going to be like under Persia and Greece. 
as these beasts come and go, come and go, come and go, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, it's going to be distressing. And as we bring that into us today, it's same, same, isn't it? It's same, same. As we stand here in 2022, waiting for the return of Jesus, what are we going to experience? Troubles and tribulations. As various beasts come and go and come and go. And there shouldn't be any news to you now because of what we've done in weeks past, but remember the words of Jesus again. Right, he's talking to his disciples today. So you will hear war, you'll hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and famines in various places, but all these things are the beginning of birth pains before the resurrection. My emphasis added. So what Daniel sees, which causes distress, is what we see, which causes distress. And it's the coming and the goings of the political beasts that will at different times savagely persecute the people of God. And we are told not to be surprised. Are you someone that's surprised? Don't be surprised. Now, we, in a sense, we've already answered the second question, but here's the second question. How long, Lord? How long? Now, if you've got your Bible again, you can have a look at it. Look at the question. It's in verse 5 and 6. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river, one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, here comes the question, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? You see the question? How long? In other words, how, how long are these things going to go on? How long will they take? Will they ever end? Are they ever these distresses that we're going to see and then happen? Are they ever going to be something of the past? Now, we know the answer, but look at the answer in verse 7. Here comes the answer. The man clothed in linen who was above the waters lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him say, who swears by him who lives forever, how long, listen, how long it will be for a time, times, and half a time when the power of the holy people have finally been broken, all these things will be completed. Now, you need to stay with me here because it's going to just stay, stay here. There are effectively two answers. How long, O oh Lord? How long will these distresses go on? Answer one, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. The second answer, when the power of the holy people has finally being broken. Now start with the second answer. What does it mean the power of the holy people has been broken? When that's been broken. Now theories abound. It's very hard to actually know. But in the context of Daniel, I think what, he, what, what, what is being said to Daniel, the power of the holy people means the distresses that you're seeing will end when the Greek empire ends. Does that make sense? So what you're seeing, when will it end? It will end at the end of the Greek empire. I'll put in a picture for you in a moment. 
But the first answer is more important. How long, Lord? How long will it take? How long will they go? Will they ever stop? It will be for a time, times and half a time. Does that ring any revelation bells for you? Because that's the clue. Let me show you what I mean. The woman, Revelation 14, which actually stands for the church. The woman, the church, was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness where she will be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Now, you'd have to go all the way back to our studies in Revelation to remember this. But a time, times, and half a time refers to an undisclosed period of time between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of all people. That's the thousand-year symbolic reign. Now, let me put it into a picture. So hopefully it's not too confusing. Have a look at that picture carefully. How long? Daniel says, how long? Well, it's until the end of the Greek empire, which is a time, times, and half a time. How long, Lord? Here we're in 2022. How long, Lord? It's a time, time, and half a time. In other words, the distresses are not going to end until when? Until Jesus comes back. In other words, we're always going to hear of wars. There are always going to be rumors of war. Nations will always rise against nations. Kingdom will always go against kingdom. There will always be famines and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes. And we've seen them even in the last week, haven't we? Ripping out parts of America. Brothers and sisters, how long? Time, times, and half a time. How long, Lord? Until we're all what? Raised from the dead. It won't finish. So, that should be fairly familiar if you've been here over the last few weeks. Let me ask the third question. How then do we live? How then do we live? If we are living here, waiting for the resurrection... And there are always going to be these, these, these troubles and tribulations. How then do we live? So look at verse 8 with me. Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? Now let me just paraphrase. Daniel sort of hears this stuff and he goes, tell me more, Lord. I want to know more. I need more detail. I need to figure out more of the times and... Ah, and uh, the answer that he gets is this in verse 9. Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed up until the end of time. In other words, the angel says to Daniel, guess what? I'm not going to tell you anymore. You're not getting any more detail. That's enough. Just sort of go your way. So, brothers and sisters, how do we live? How do we live in the light of the resurrection that's coming with all these troubles and tribulations? And here comes the answer in verse 10. 
Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So God says to Daniel this. If you say this to wicked people, if you say this to unbelievers, if you say this to apostate Jews, if you say it to people that do not believe in God, do you know how the wicked are going to respond? They're going to scoff. They're going to ignore. And because they scoff, what's going to happen is they're going to continue to sin. They're going to continue in their rebellion against God. They're going to continue lives of pleasure because they do not, will not believe that the resurrection is coming. And 2 Peter chapter 3 tells it, puts it like this. 2 Peter chapter 3, above all, Peter says, you must understand that in the last days, thousand years that we're in, symbolically, in the time, times, and half a time, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Here's how the wicked will respond. Where is this coming? Where is this resurrection? Ever since our ancestors died, the creation has been going on since the beginning of time. That's how the wicked respond. But how do the righteous respond? How do you live as a God-fearing Christian? Look at it in the first part of verse 10. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. How do we live? Peter helps us again. Look at this. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which though perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Right. Here's what God is saying to Daniel. The wicked will just continue to be wicked. Those who do not believe in the end, they will just completely living as if there is no tomorrow. But for the righteous, for the righteous, we start to understand that these trials and these troubles and tribulations are trials in order to refine us. I'll explain more. Have a look at this for a moment. How many times have you heard a non-Christian say something like that? If there was a God, he would not allow. Becomes the ultimate apologetic against God, doesn't it? But for God's people, the troubles and the tribulations are God's trials for us. Meaning that the very troubles and try, the very troubles and tribulations that we see coming and that we experience, God is using them to prepare us for resurrection. 
God is using them to prepare us for eternity. God is using these troubles to sharpen our faith. God is using these troubles to make us more useful in the kingdom, to increase our appetite for glory, to wean us off the world, to break our earthly attachment off earthly things and to develop our endurance and perseverance. Does that make sense? This, let me show you how James puts it. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The troubles and the difficulties that we see coming that are, God uses them to mature us to grow us, to make us more like Christ and to make us hunger and thirst for eternity. Let me put it another way. If God is using troubles to refine us, grow us, mature us, then we mustn't fight the troubles. We mustn't flee the troubles. We are to embrace them because they are instruments in God's hands giving us opportunity to grow, to mature, to witness, and to persevere. Let me show you how Peter pulls it all together. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. How do we live? We live allowing God to shape us, mold us, change us, and get us ready through the difficulties for the resurrection that's coming. But there's more. Have a look at verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. How are we to live? We are to live such godly lives that we shine like stars in the black sky. We are to live such lives in this crooked and depraved generation as we wait for our resurrection. Have a look at it like this. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And look how Paul puts it in Philippians. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. 
so that you may become pure and blameless, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And here's the link with Daniel. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. My brother and sister, as we wait for resurrected glory in the troubles, we accept them as trials and we seek to live godly lives like stars in the backdrop of a dark sky. And what do we do? Have a look at Proverbs 24, 11. Rescue those, who are being led, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. We embrace the trials. We live godly lives. And in view of the resurrection that's coming, we seek, we seek to hold back those who are staggering their way to slaughter. Here's my fourth question. How do we know it ends in resurrection? How do we know? How do we know that it's not going to be some sort of mind-boggling scientific theory that ends the world? How do we know that Stephen Hawking was wrong? How do we know that it's not reincarnation? How do we know that it's, it's, it's not spirits that just evolve life after death? How do we know that it's going to be multitudes that, that sleep in the dust will awake, some to everlasting contempt and some to everlasting life? How do we know? I uh, once met a lady who thought that she was a reincarnated Celtic warrior. And when I asked her how she knew that she was a Celtic warrior in her previous life, she said, quote, I saw it in the stars. There's only one way to be sure that resurrection is coming. And that's because Jesus rose from the dead. Remember these words of Jesus? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? How about these words of Paul in Corinthians? He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Since death came through a man... Listen, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. One question that non-Christians always ask is this. I need proof that we're all going to be raised from the dead. The proof is that Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead. So let me take you to my final question. How do we respond? How do we respond to Daniel 12? Let me give you six responses. Here's number one. They will end. The troubles will end. The trials will end. 
the tribulations will end. But they will only end when Jesus comes back and raises us from the dead. Two. We need to embrace. Embrace the difficulties as trials. And we need to endure. We need to persevere. In light of the resurrection hope that we're waiting for. And come to that place. And I know this is a journey, it's a process. You remember the words of Paul in Romans 8, 18, where he said that we consider that our present sufferings are nothing compared to the, to the glory that will be revealed in us. The troubles will end. We are to embrace and endure. Three, in the words again of Philippians, don't grumble, don't argue. Be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Brother and sister, be godly. Seek to live the godly life that God has called us to live, which will one day be perfected in resurrection hope. Fourthly, in the words of Jude 23, save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. See, as we wait, we need to hold out the gospel. We need to hold out the gospel to those who are staggering their way towards death. Staggering their way towards a resurrection that will be contempt and hell. Hold out the gospel of a Jesus who died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins and rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Here's a fifth one. I know some of you have been holding out for the 1290. And the 1335 days. I want to tell you, mm, not sure. Not often I say that. It's really hard to know exactly what he's referring to. There is absolutely no consensus among any of the theologians of what that means. However, I want to give you an, something plausible. In the context, because the numbers are so odd, 1290 and 1335, and they don't relate to anywhere else in the Bible, I think that the 1290 stands for the period of troubles and the 1335 stands for the resurrection of believers. In other words, we've got to endure the 1290. We've got to endure the troubles because we're, what's coming? We've got the resurrection. Let me show you what I mean. 
Well, let me just read Daniel 12 there. From that time, the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up. There'll be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335. So I'm suggesting that the 1290 is symbolic for a period of tribulation. The 1335 refers to the resurrection. And here's why I say it. Revelation 14. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed is the one who waits for the 1335. Do you see it? Why would you be blessed if you die in the Lord now? Where are you going? Resurrection. You see it? Right? There it is. Right, let me give you one more. Some of you. Blessed are those, Revelation 22, are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. That is not a literal city. It's symbolic. Symbolic of what? If you go to the tree of life and you go through the gates of the city, what's it referring to? Resurrection. Right? Blessed are those who get to the 1335. Blessed are those who go to the gates of the city. Endure the 1290. 1335 is coming. Does sound like a train, doesn't it? One last question. Here's number six. Will you be raised to everlasting contempt or to everlasting life? Men, women, and children, I ask you this morning. Will you be raised to everlasting contempt or everlasting life? It's going to be one or the other. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be raised to everlasting life. Do you need to call on the name of the Lord this morning? Call on Him. You will be raised. I hope these words are of great comfort to you, my brothers and sisters. For those of you that are in Christ, listen to these words of Daniel. As for you, Daniel, go your way to the end. You will rest. And then at the end of your days, you will, receive, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Brothers and sisters, go your way. Go your way. Because at the end, you will rise to receive your resurrection. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. And they're going to lead us in a song that talks about what that day is going to be like.